0: You do you. Let TrueGreen do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: I'm Robert Costa in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, supporters of abortion rights push for more action from the Biden administration and Congress. And the midterm campaign ramps up.
2: My My
1: Outside the White House, frustration over abortion rights intensifies amid growing confusion over where and how women can safely get abortions. President Biden's executive order seeking to expand and strengthen access can only go so far. His solution, this November's elections.
3: So what we're witnessing wasn't a constitutional judgment. It was an exercise in raw political power. We need two additional pro-choice senators and a pro-choice House to codify Roe as federal law. Your vote can make that a reality.
1: We sat down with Vice President Kamala Harris. She will outline the administration's strategy on abortion rights and more. Finish this sentence for me. Americans need to vote for Democrats in November because. Our democracy
2: is on the ballot. Truly.
1: Do Republicans see it differently? We'll talk with a rising star in the GOP. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, a businessman who won in an upset last November. We will preview this week's January 6th hearings with Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin. Finally, a look at the documentary shot behind the scenes during the final weeks of the Trump administration.
0: It's not even a contest, but you still need a judge that has courage. And so far we haven't found that judge.
1: It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Margaret is out today. Last week, we witnessed a series of shocking events around the world. After refusing to resign for months, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson finally succumbed to political pressure and quit. In Japan, a country with some of the toughest gun laws in the world, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was shot and killed during a campaign event. Here at home, seven people were shot and killed and dozens injured while watching a Fourth of July parade in Highland Park, a suburb of Chicago. So far this year in the U.S., there have been 327 mass shootings. Twelve of them, since that shooting a week ago. Vice President Kamala Harris visited Highland Park just after the shooting. We sat down with her in her ceremonial office on Friday, and that's where our conversation began. When
2: you meet with first responders, when you meet with families of these victims, you cannot avoid the reality of what the impact of this gun violence is on a community, on families, on people who, who love their community, who love their family member, and um, assault weapons. So let's just go right to that, assault weapons. Assault weapons were specifically and intentionally designed to kill a lot of human beings quickly. It is a weapon of war If you've ever looked at, if I may be so blunt, an autopsy photograph to see what it does to the human body, and the fact that we can't get Congress to renew. It's not like we're pulling something out of our hat. We've done it before as a nation to renew the assault weapons ban is outrageous. And you can support the Second Amendment. I support the Second Amendment. But we should agree we should not have weapons of war on the streets of America.
1: Why do so many mass shooters, often young men radicalized online, seem to still have access legally to weapons and to slip past red flag laws like those in
2: Illinois? Because those weapons are available. And we have to stop allowing those weapons to be available to civilians living in communities of people who have a right to believe that they are not in a war zone.
1: President Biden issued an executive order on abortion seeking to expand and bolster access. But so many Democrats in this country remain very angry about the recent Supreme Court decision. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom Mm -hmm. said this in May. Where is the Democratic Party? Where's the party? Why aren't we calling this out? This is a concerted, coordinated
2: effort. And, yes, they're winning. Is he right? I think all of us share um, a deep sense of outrage that the United States Supreme Court took a constitutional right that was recognized, took it from the women of America, I mean, sit back and think about that for a moment. The highest court in our land just took a constitutional right that was recognized for women to make decisions about their own bodies. And so now we are looking at a situation where the government can tell a a person in our country what they can and cannot do with their own body. You don't have to agree that you want to or would advocate that you or a loved one would have an abortion to agree that the government should not be making that decision for any individual woman.
1: Did Democrats fail past Democratic presidents, congressional leaders to not codify Roe v. Wade over the past five decades?
2: I do believe that we should have rightly believed, but we certainly believe, that certain issues are just settled. Certain issues are just settled.
1: Clearly we're not.
2: No, that's right, and that's why I do believe that we are living, sadly, in um, real unsettled times. There's another example of this point, voting rights. The Fundamental principle of our, of our democracy is everyone should have access, who are entitled to have access to vote. And now you see states across the country that are intentionally making it more difficult for people to vote. We thought that was settled. We thought that was settled at least by law in the 60s. We look now at the issue of choice.
1: Um, We thought that was settled. What will this administration do to try to codify Roe, to try to, through Congress, put into
2: law some of these priorities? What we will do through the executive branch to ensure that women have the ability to, to travel freely, unencumbered, that women will have access to the medication. But we also need Congress to act because that branch of government is where we actually codify, which means put into law, the rights that, again, we took for granted, but clearly have now been taken from the women of America. We've seen this in the past. If you think about it, the Voting Rights Act, True. Congress acted. Civil Rights Act, Congress acted, because where there was any question, especially through the courts or any other system, about the sanctity of these rights, we decided as a nation, we would put it into law. That's what we need to do with Roe and the principles behind Roe.
1: Some senators have suggested that Justice Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh misled them Mm. during the confirmation hearings on Roe v. Wade. Some Democrats have even called for those justices to be impeached. Do you believe they should be impeached?
2: I start from um, the point of experience of having served in the Senate. I never believed them. I didn't believe them. That's why I voted against. Um, so and what now, though? We need to understand that states are passing laws because of what the Supreme Court has now allowed to happen. So what does this mean? It means that we're looking at elections coming up in 120-something days. They're going to be about who serves in Congress, and we need a pro-choice Congress. Again, you don't have to advocate or believe that this is right for you or your family, but don't let the government make the decision for her family, whoever she may be. It means state offices, governors, secretaries of state, attorneys general. It means local races. Who's going to be your DA? Who's going to be your sheriff? Enforcing laws that are being passed to criminalize medical health providers and maybe even the women who seek the service.
1: Basketball star Brittany Griner, she remains imprisoned in Russia. UN President Biden spoke with Sherelle Griner, her wife, you reassured her. But what kind of reassurance is possible now? She has pled guilty. Mm -hmm. Is a prisoner
2: swap on the table? We take very seriously, and we've been very clear, Brittany Griner, and there are sadly other Americans who are being unlawfully detained around the world. And it is on our highest priority list to bring those folks home. I can't talk to you about the details of what's happening behind the scenes, but I can tell you that it is one of our highest priorities to bring these Americans home.
1: We're just months away from the midterm elections. Finish this sentence for me. Americans need to vote for Democrats in November because...
2: Our democracy is on the ballot. Truly. Truly. If you look at an issue like choice, it's on the ballot. A woman's right to make decisions about her own body and potentially what can happen in the not-too-distant future around issues like access to and and making decisions about contraception or or same-sex marriage. Elections matter. The people who are elected, especially to the United States Congress, will decide the outcome of all of these issues, voting rights. The ability of us to pass Uh, Voting rights legislation, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the Freedom to Vote Act, will be a function of who is in Congress.
1: When I go around the country as a reporter and Mm -hmm. I talk to black Americans, they bring up voting rights. They also bring up police reform. And and they say two years after George Floyd was killed, you have Jalen Walker in Ohio, 60 wounds from police officers.
2: 60 gunshots.
1: And 60 gunshots. Gun violence still killing black Americans from police officers. Polls, though, show that support for this administration among black Americans has softened. How will you turn that around?
2: Black Americans, Americans in general, should be demanding and rightly that we pass legislation that addresses these issues that you have mentioned. I was an author of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. I believe very strongly that we should have accountability in all systems, including in policing.
1: But they're frustrated police reform is stalled.
2: You're right. I mean, but again... There is a connection between what we, are, what we want to have happen and the power of Congress to actually make it happen when it comes to changing the laws, when it comes to writing and then putting, in effect, laws that create accountability and greater fairness in our system, be it our criminal justice system, be it our health care delivery system, all of that. Um, but I will say this. What we have also seen is that black Americans and all Americans said, Look at the United States Supreme Court. There has never in the history of that court been a black woman to serve. There now is. Because people stood in line in 2020 for hours, demanding that of the things that they would stand in line to see happen, there would be a Katanji Brown-Jackson on the United States Justice, excuse me, Katanji Brown-Jackson on the United States Supreme Court. So there are demands that were made by voters Mm -hmm. saying... These are the things we want out of this administration. And a lot of those demands have been met in the first year and a half. There's still more work to do without any question.
1: Up on Capitol Hill, there is speculation among some Democrats and some Republicans that President Biden won't run for re-election in 2024. What's your message to those who say that?
2: Listen to President Biden. He intends to run. And... If he does, I intend to run with him. (laughs) So there you go.
1: Another run by former President Trump is possible. He is signaling that. Would that make it more likely that the president runs?
2: He did it before.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Another issue is immigration. Mm -hmm. Texas Governor Greg Abbott this week authorized state officials there to arrest migrants and take them to federal border crossing facilities. And he's blamed the administration Uh, for the immigration issue in his state. He's called it a, quote, invasion. What will the administration do about Governor Abbott's decision and the migrant issue?
2: I um, would suggest that so-called leaders focus on solutions instead of attacks if they really are concerned about a problem. And that includes, on the issue of immigration, passing a pathway for citizenship fixing what in particular under the prior administration was a badly broken system so that we can have a humane and appropriate approach to this issue, including, of course, what we will continue to do in terms of prioritizing border security, but understanding we also need to create a pathway. And, um, and that's where I think everyone should be focused. If they're actually concerned about solutions instead of flame throwing.
1: Vice President Harris, thank you very much for taking the time.
2: You're welcome. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Bob.
1: Good to be with you. Our full interview with Vice President Harris can be seen on our website and on our YouTube channel. Face the Nation will be back in one minute. Stay with us. We turn now to the Republican Party. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin is a newcomer to politics who won in an upset last November. We want to welcome Governor Youngkin to the broadcast. Good morning, Governor. Let's begin with the Supreme Court and abortion. You just heard from Vice President Harris. She said you don't have to abandon your faith to believe that a woman should have the ability to decide whether she gets an abortion or not. Do you agree Well, first of all, good morning, and thank you for having me.
4: And the debate on abortion has been uh, raging for a long time. And I believe, as a pro-life governor, that life begins at conception. And my job as a pro-life governor in a state in Virginia, where 18 months ago, the debate uh, in our General Assembly was around whether abortion should be allowed all the way up through and including birth, funded by taxpayer money. AND SO THIS IN VIRGINIA IS A DEBATE THAT WE ARE GOING TO RUN TO. THE SUPREME COURT'S DECISION, I AGREE WITH, THAT THIS IS A DECISION FOR STATES TO MAKE BY ELECTED OFFICIALS, uh, BY THE CITIZENS OF VIRGINIA. THAT'S WHY RIGHT OUT OF THE BOX, uh, I CALLED FOR A 15-WEEK PAIN THRESHOLD BILL TO BE uh, FORMED AND CRAFTED BY A BIPARTISAN GROUP OF LEGISLATORS. I THINK THIS IS WHAT IT'S ALL ABOUT, IS THIS IS A MOMENT Um, for our country to have a discussion around this. And each state will decide something different. And I think that's the the real value of the Supreme Court's decision.
1: You've said you've proposed a 15-week ban. Will you ever pursue a full ban on abortion in Virginia?
4: The reality is that as a pro-life governor in a state like Virginia, where I have a Senate that's controlled by Democrats and a House that's controlled by Republicans we have to find a way to get things done. And I believe that's what we've been able to do, is get things done at a time where you have to bring people together in order to make progress. As I said, I believe life begins at conception. In Virginia, we've got to work with a Senate and a House. This is what we've been doing. But will you ever pursue a full ban? Well, I believe that what my job is, is to get something done. And I believe we can get a 15-week pain threshold bill done in Virginia for the first time. Think about it. This was a state again that just 18 months ago was talking about enabling abortion all the way up through and including birth. And now we're able to talk about a 15 week pain threshold bill where a baby feels pain. This is a remarkable moment for us. And it's an opportunity I'm not going to let go.
1: You support exceptions for rape incest in the life of the mother. Some other Republican governors do not. Republicans. Are they wrong? Again, I think this is a moment where we have to reflect on our
4: personal beliefs. And uh, as a As a pro-life governor, I have really reflected on my own faith and my beliefs. And I do believe that there should be exceptions that are made in the case of rape and incest. And when the life of the mother is truly at risk, um, again, this is a moment, though, where people have to come together. The one thing that's uh, very much agreed upon in Virginia today is that we want fewer abortions, not more. And I think this is a chance over the next five months for a bipartisan group of legislators to craft a path there and give me a bill that I can sign.
1: On education, one of your first actions as governor was to propose the end of teaching of, quote, inherently divisive concepts. What's an example?
4: Well, in Virginia schools, and we saw Loudoun County literally be ground zero, we saw students being taught that they should view everything through a lens of race and judge one another. And again, we're not talking about forgetting our history And in fact, one of the things we have to do is teach all of our history, the good and the bad. But we shouldn't play play privilege bingo with children. We shouldn't teach children that they should judge one another. And one group's privileged and another group is going to find it hard in life necessarily. And we shouldn't blame someone and have them form a view that they're inherently racist because of their race or their sex or their religion. We shouldn't judge one another. We can do this. And so right out of the box, we worked in order to, to remove inherently divisive concepts from curriculum. We absolutely, we absolutely are pushing to teach all history, the good and the bad. And again, we can bring people together around this as, a fo- as opposed to dividing It's a them.
1: challenge, though. You say Virginia's willing to teach all history. Suppose your Board of Education comes to you, Governor, and, and says to you, Governor, the Civil War, we recommend it's too divisive. We want to call it the war between the states. What would you do? Well, I don't think they're going to do that. Well, they could. Uh,
4: But I don't believe they will. And I think what we all recognize is that slavery was an an absolute uh, black spot in our history. I mean, it is so, so abhorrent. And we have to teach it. And... This is not a moment where we're running away from these topics, and this is why I'm so excited about our education agenda in Virginia. I mean, we stepped into our day one game plan with a comprehensive education plan to have the highest education budget in the history of Virginia, to fund special ed programs, to fund into laboratory schools, to provide choice, to give teachers raises, and we got it all done, all of it. That's what's so exciting is that we brought people together around an education agenda, which is common sense focused, And again, I believe that there's certain groups that want to drive people apart. And my job is to pull them together around a vision for education that can deliver for our kids. Security is
1: also an issue in your state. We've been talking about the Supreme Court. Some of those justices live in Virginia. Do Do you have confidence that justices who live in Virginia are adequately protected? Our Our judges
4: in Virginia are adequately protected. I wish we could do more. And this is why I've called on Attorney General Garland to enforce the federal law, which is so clear. You can't parade and picket in front of a judge's home and try to influence them. And I've been been consistent in calling on him to please enforce the law. We have substantial state resources positioned right around from the justices' homes. I speak to them frequently to make sure that they feel adequately protected, and I'm encouraged by those conversations. This is not a moment where we can allow anything to happen to our
1: justices. Broadly speaking, this is about democracy. On the court, the court is moving right now on several different fronts. It could move on same-sex marriage in the coming years. Will you take any steps to codify same-sex marriage in Virginia?
4: I, I, I believe that what the Supreme Court has done most recently is so consistent with what we know the Constitution stands for, which is RETURNING THE RIGHTS TO STATES TO MAKE THESE DECISIONS LIKE ROE V. WADE, PROTECTING IN FACT THE RIGHT OF LAWMAKERS TO MAKE LAWS, NOT AN EXECUTIVE BRANCH TO PASS RULES AND REGULATIONS THAT OVERSTEP BOUNDARIES. THIS IS WHAT THE SUPREME COURT HAS has BEEN SO FOCUSED ON. IN VIRGINIA, WE we ACTUALLY DO PROTECT SAME-SEX MARRIAGE IN VIRGINIA. THAT'S THE LAW IN VIRGINIA. AND THEREFORE, AS GOVERNOR OF VIRGINIA, WE PROTECT SAME-SEX MARRIAGE. I think what's happening in, right now is that there are so many, are so many elements that are yeah. trying to pull we'll, people we, apart, and we have a chance Governor. to pull them together.
1: Welcome back to Face the Nation. We want to continue our conversation with Virginia Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin. Governor Youngkin, you were just in Nebraska on Saturday speaking to Republicans across the country. You have also said President Biden was legitimately elected. Former President Trump continues to falsely claim the 2020 election was stolen. Should he stop saying that? Well, let me begin with my trip to Nebraska, which was really great fun. Uh, Governor
4: Ricketts had really helped me in my race, and it was a great chance for me to show up and help in the next uh, race to elect a Republican in Nebraska. And one of the things that I'm really focused on uh, is helping Republican governors get elected. You know, I've got a big job in Virginia, and it takes the takes the vast majority of my time. But I do think there's spots that I can be helpful. And so I plan on doing that this year. Of course, the other thing we plan on doing this year is helping uh, congressional wins in Virginia. And I think there's a great opportunity there.
1: what about former President Trump?
4: Well, I think this is a moment for the Republican Party to, to recognize exactly what I, re- I recognized last year. Was this is not an or moment, but an and moment. I mean, we brought together Virginians last year. Forever Trumpers, never Trumpers, independents. Democrats, we won the we won the Latino vote, the Asian vote, the, the largest voter turnout for black Virginians that anybody can remember to vote for Republican. I mean, I think this is the future of the Republican Party, which is to recognize that we have to come together in these common sense kitchen table issues that are on the forefront of everybody's mind, inflation, schools, safe communities, a, an economy that isn't stealing everybody's hardworking money through inflation, but gives them a job. So this is where the Republicans... This is the Republicans who, that we can win. So former President Trump should stop talking about it. I think what I did last year was I focused on 2021 and we had 5,000 people come and volunteer in elections and that gave everybody confidence in our election process. They showed up, they voted in record numbers for a governor's race and we won.
1: The January 6th committee continues its work this week. Some members of the committee believe the former president has criminal wrongdoing. There have been many revelations made by this committee what do you believe you should do in the wake of all of this new evidence? Can you continue to support someone like President Trump? Well, let me begin with what happened on
4: January 6th with the, uh, the, with the invasion of our capital was, was awful. Uh, and, and it's a blight on our democracy. I have to be honest, though. I, I talked to thousands of Virginians, and the topics they want to talk about is not January 6th. What they want to talk about is runaway inflation, gas prices... They want to talk about crime in their communities. They want to talk about education and the rights of parents to be engaged in their kids' schools. I just fundamentally believe that, that the media's attention on this, while, while I think it's important to the media, is really well, not look, what but voters but are it's focused not just, on.
1: It's not just the media. Some Republican governors, like Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, have said President Trump shouldn't run again. Is that your view?
4: President Trump's going to do what President Trump wants to do. And my job is to have the best Virginia we can have and to demonstrate that Republican a Republican agenda on low taxes and great schools and safe communities. And by the way, a thriving economy that's working with companies like Boeing and Raytheon moving to Virginia. This is the Republican agenda of the future. And this is the one that I think we're delivering in Virginia. And I think this is the one that's going to really carry a red wave across the nation this year.
1: So that's your agenda. That's your focus. You also have political capital. You are a rising star in the Republican Party. Every reporter. Wants to know how politicians use that political capital. You have a political action committee that's busy right now. Will you support and spend money through your PAC to help candidates like Doug Mastriano, the election denier who's running for governor in Pennsylvania on the Republican side?
4: Well, I believe what I can do with, with our supporters is first get congressional representatives elected in Virginia. First and foremost, I think the road to the majority in our House of Representatives comes through Virginia. And I'm going to spend real time there making sure that we win these elections. And then I believe there are governor's elections around the country where I think I can make a difference.
1: Is Mastriano one of them? Well,
4: I have a huge job in Virginia. And so I've got to be real careful in how much I spend time out of Virginia. We're still working on my agenda. But I think there are states like Virginia where people recognize that a Democrat governor has not done a good job and a Republican governor, like the Republican governors all over America, can do a good job. And those are the ones that I'm going to go support. We haven't figured out where I'm going yet. But at the end of the day, I'm going to help some Republican governors get elected.
1: When you look at a map, Nebraska right next to Iowa, the early voting state in the 2024 presidential election, are you open and your family to considering a run for president in 2024?
4: First, I am hugely humbled by this discussion that's going on. Some donors have come to you. And and, and the reality, of course, is I think it's based on the fact that I won in a state that was blue and we turned it red. I ran on a platform that we're delivering. And I often find it um, shocking that people are surprised that a person runs for office and then goes to work to deliver on what they promised they were going to do. And so I think my job is to be a great governor in Virginia.
1: But are you open to considering, along with your family, the idea of a presidential run in 2024?
4: That's not a decision that we have even begun to undertake. The reality, of course, is I've been, in, I've been governor of Virginia for six months. We've got an extraordinary amount done, $4 billion tax cuts a record budget for education, $400 million into law enforcement to raise salaries and keep our communities safe. This is where I'm focused. I didn't hear I'm you focused. rule it out,
1: but I hope if you make a, a decision, you come back here and break the news with CBS. Great. Governor Yunkin, thank you so much for being here, and we'll be right back. This podcast is supported by
2: FedEx.
3: or text Wondery Pod to
1: 500-500. Former President Trump's top White House lawyer, Pat Cipollone, talked with the January 6th committee for eight hours Friday. The committee tells us this morning that they received critical testimony on nearly every major topic in its investigation, reinforcing key points regarding Donald Trump's misconduct and providing highly relevant new information that will play a central role in its upcoming hearings. We're back with Maryland Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin. He will be a lead questioner in Tuesday's January 6th committee hearing. Good morning, Congressman. Thanks for being here. Delighted to be with you, Robert. A rare statement from the committee characterizing Cipollone's testimony from Friday. What will we hear Tuesday, and will it include some of Cipollone?
5: Well, we're going to continue the story of uh, Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow the 2020 presidential election. And uh, at the last hearings, we showed how lots of doors were uh, closing on him, if not all the way, at least part of the way, within the state legislatures. That didn't work for him. Uh, The Department of Justice mini-coup didn't really work for him. The attempt to get DOJ to say that the election was corrupt had not Come through the effort to intimidate election officials like Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in Georgia uh, had not succeeded, but now he was turning his attention to January the sixth, and we are going to get to uh, use a lot of Mr. Cipollone's testimony to corroborate other things we've learned along the way. Uh, He was um, the White House Counsel at the time. He was aware of every major move, I think, that Donald Trump was making to try to overthrow the 2020 election and essentially seize the presidency, and so uh, I considered his testimony valuable.
1: So we'll see him, perhaps, on video or part of his testimony excerpted, but who will we have in the hearing room as live witnesses? Well,
5: um, one of the things that people are going to learn is the fundamental importance of a meeting that took place in the White House. Uh, on December the 18th. And uh, on that day, the group of lawyers, of outside lawyers, who've been denominated Team Crazy by people uh, in and around the White House, uh, came in uh, to try to urge several new courses of action, including the seizure of voting machines around the country. Um, and so some of the people involved in that uh were Sidney Powell, um, Rudy Giuliani was around uh, for a part of that discussion, Michael Flynn was around for that. Uh, But against this Team Crazy were an inside group of lawyers who essentially wanted the president at that point to acknowledge that he had lost the election uh, and were far more willing to accept uh, the reality of his defeat at that point. So... So there will be there will be other uh, witnesses coming. Um,
1: witnesses who are at the December 18th, 2020 meeting. Uh, First-hand witnesses. No,
5: no. There will be testimony about that. Uh, that th- there will be other kinds of evidence submitted about that. But there will be other witnesses, and I'm afraid I'm not
1: authorized to disclose oh, who those Congress. witnesses are at this point. If anyone's authorized, it's you. What about yep. Steve Bannon, the former White House chief strategist, seems to be signaling he's willing to come in DO YOU BUY IT, IS IT A GENUINE OFFER, AND WILL YOU ACCEPT IT?
5: LOOK, WE WANT EVERYBODY'S TESTIMONY. WE'VE TALKED TO MORE THAN A THOUSAND PEOPLE. Uh, AND TO ME, uh, IT VINDICATES THE WAY OUR SYSTEM OF JUSTICE WORKS AND THE WAY THAT OUR DEMOCRACY WORKS AND LEGISLATIVE DEMOCRACY WORKS. Manning? WELL, uh, I UNDERSTAND FROM REPORTS today HE'S HAD A CHANGE OF HEART. AND uh, AFTER WATCHING PRESUMABLY ALL OF THESE uh, PEOPLE COME FORWARD, um, you know, including Cassidy Hutchinson, you know, he's decided that he wants to come in. And if he wants to come in, um, I'm certain that the committee would be very interested in hearing from him.
1: Would it be closed door with Bannon or do you want to, because he could go up there and pontificate if it was a public live hearing?
5: The way that we have treated every single witness is the same, that they come in, they talk to the committee. uh, If they're going to take a deposition, they're sworn under oath. It's videotaped. It's recorded. Uh, And then we take it from there.
1: Bannon was at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C. on the night of January 5th, 2021, the eve of the insurrection. What are we going to learn from your hearing on Tuesday about the Willard Hotel? Roger Stone, also present at the Willard that night. Steve Bannon, Rudy Giuliani. Is there a real connection between those so-called war rooms, the violence outside, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers gathering, and what was happening inside the West Wing?
5: Well, I think your question practically answers itself. Um, Donald Trump was, of course, the central figure who set everything into motion. He was the person, Rob, who identified January 6th as the date for the big protest. And he announced that in his tweet in the middle of the night on December 19th after uh, a crazy meeting, one that has been described as the craziest meeting in the entire Trump presidency ended December 18th, and uh, Mark Meadows escorted Rudy Giuliani out the door. It sort of ended at that point. And then just an hour or two later, Donald Trump sent out the tweet that would be heard around the world, the first time in American history when a president of the United States called a protest against his own government, in fact, to try to stop the counting of electoral college votes in a presidential election he had lost absolutely unprecedented. Nothing like that had ever happened before. So people are going to hear the story of that tweet and then the explosive effect it had in Trump world and specifically among the domestic violent extremist groups, the most dangerous political extremists in the country at that point.
1: What about Ginny Thomas, the spouse of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas? Her lawyer now says she doesn't want to appear. Will she ever appear before your committee? I mean, again, that's like with
5: Steve Bannon. I mean, the vast majority of people, uh, young, middle-aged, old, Cassidy Hutchinson's a great example, have done their civic duty, have done their legal duty, have done their patriotic duty, and have said, I'm going to come forward and tell you everything I know and nothing but the truth. What's your the message to trip. her
1: if she's watching? So,
5: uh, to whom? Ginny Thomas. My message to her is my message to all Americans, which is if you have relevant information, if you are a material witness in any respect to these events, Come forward and tell us what you know. Can you force her hand? Um, uh, Again, you know, I don't want to enter into questions and negotiations about specific witnesses. I mean, it's kind of a a violation of our responsibility to the public. But we are telling everybody in the public, come forward and tell us what you know. Uh, And you know, if you get a subpoena. I mean, a subpoena is not an invitation to a Valentine's Day party. A subpoena is telling you, the word subpoena means under penalty of law. You get a subpoena, you come in.
1: When you look at your your previous comments, you said these hearings would, quote, blow the roof off the House. Major hearing this week on Tuesday, led by you in part. Another major hearing on Thursday. Will your statement still stand by Friday, that these hearings will blow the roof off the House? Well, not
5: literally, certainly, but... Um, I think what I meant is that when you add all of this up together, it is the greatest political offense against the union by a president of the United States in our history. Nothing comes close to it. It, it, you know, the... A criminal offense. the, the The attempt to overthrow the result of a presidential election through a political coup and the mobilization... Of an armed violent mob um, cannot really be compared to anything else a president has done. Uh, it makes the Watergate break in look like the work of Cub Scouts. Uh, so um, I, I just hope that we're telling everything we know in a competent and effective way to the American people because, you know, Madison said that in a democracy, the people have the right to the most awful truth, which is the truth about the nature of government and their rulers. And we need Americans to look very carefully at what happened.
1: Congressman Raskin, thank you. The next January 6 hearing will be on Tuesday, July 12th, and you can watch it right here on CBS on our broadcast and our streaming network. We'll be back in a moment.
2: Okay, it's time to commit. I could
4: stay here forever.
2: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: During the final weeks of the Trump presidency, including the day the Capitol was attacked, British filmmaker Alex Holder had behind the scenes access to former President Trump and his inner circle as part of a documentary project. The footage his team gathered was subpoenaed by the committee probing the attack, and investigators have interviewed Holder as they seek to piece together what happened. Alex Holder, three-part documentary series, Unprecedented, premieres today on Discovery Plus, and he is here with us this morning. Good morning, Alex. Morning. Your documentary, which I've watched, powerful footage of the brutal violence on January 6th. Your documentary also focuses on the Trump family in an intense way. DO THEY FEEL ANY CULPABILITY FOR WHAT HAPPENED?
6: I MEAN, in, IN MY in my INTERACTIONS WITH THEM, NO, NOT AT ALL. I MEAN, I THINK uh, PRESIDENT TRUMP, WHEN I INTERVIEWED HIM in, IN MAR-A-LAGO, HE DOUBLED DOWN ON THE POSITION. IN FACT, HE EVEN SAYS THAT THE REASON WHY THE PROTESTERS WENT INTO THE the Capitol ON JANUARY 6TH WAS BECAUSE THEY HAD BELIEVED THAT THE ELECTION WAS STOLEN. WELL, WHO TOLD THEM THAT THE ELECTION WAS STOLEN OTHER THAN HIM? AND THEN WITH RESPECT TO HIS CHILDREN. They declined to discuss the, uh, the, the subject of January 6th. So I think that their silence will be for others to, uh, to, de- to determine what that really means.
1: You and your crew captured this amazing moment in January 2021 with Vice President Pence as he has to confront a decision on something most vice presidents never have to make a decision about, whether to invoke the 25th Amendment. Let's take a look at that
2: moment. I join the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. If the vice president and cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment.
1: 748. That's when I received it. But the House members got it a while back. Yeah, excellent. Um, uh, Tell Zach to print me off a hard copy for the trip home. Sure. Great. I'm always hopeful about America. (laughs) Always believed that America's best days are yet to come, and I still believe that. What did you witness behind the scenes that day that you may have shared with the January Sixth Committee that we didn't see?
6: Well, I mean that day was pretty extraordinary. This is about six days or so after the events of January the sixth. We're now in the White House in the uh, the OEOB, so this is the ceremonial room for the Vice President, and. Uh, We saw things in the corridors at desks that were sort of upended and chairs outside because they were obviously moving out for the new administration. And there was this sort of really dour, quite sort of depressed mood in the building at that time. And some of the aides around the vice president as well were also talking quietly, whispering. Things were, you know, just, it was a very uncomfortable situation. And then the vice president walks in, he sits down. And this is, I mean, on that day, he was probably the most famous man in the world because this was all about the 25th Amendment and whether or not he was actually going to invoke this, uh, this procedure. So it was an extraordinary day, and, and, and he sits down in the chair and his aide hands him over his phone, and myself and also our director of photography saw that it was from the speaker's office. And we captured this extraordinary moment and also the aftermath of it as well. So it was we were walking in history all the way through this entire process of making this, this documentary, and I hope people you know, tune in and watch it and see... These incredible moments unfold.
1: You were walking through history. You were with the Trump family again and again, and you cast them as a family that's also a brand, and it's a brand that cannot accept defeat. Do you believe the former president will run again?
6: Oh, I don't know whether or not he'll, he'll run again. I mean, I, I, you've been up close with him. I mean, I think you know, he tends to not do the same thing twice when he fails, and I think the reason for that, and this is what the series shows, is that it's all about the brand. It's all about the word Trump and the association of the word Trump to failure is something that he can't accept and his kids can't accept. So the idea that it may happen again, that he might fail again, is something that would be something that he could not accept. So maybe he might take the risk. Maybe he won't take the risk. We'll see. I mean, he says we'll see.
1: You spoke to former President Trump about democracy. What did that conversation reveal to you?
6: Oh, I don't think he really understands what that really means. I mean, when I am sitting in front of him, you know, in the White House, on, you know, sort of four or five days after his own attorney general has said there's no evidence to support his claims of election malfeasance, and he's given me all these different reasons as to why there actually is election issues and how we need to intervene and we need to sort of get brave and courageous judges. I mean, this isn't a man who really sort of fully understands what it means to be... You know, what democracy actually really means. You've
1: probably spent more time with Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and Ivanka Trump than almost anyone else outside of that family. Do you believe they are angling to continue the Trump brand politically and run for office, if not in 2024, at some point in the future? You know them.
6: I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, 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 if they do. I mean, Don Jr. certainly came across at least in my interactions with him. And I think in the series, people will see that he does have an interest in politics for sure. And he goes in sort of the background of where his political awakening comes from, which is pretty interesting. Um, I think Eric, maybe not as much. And Ivanka will see as well. But I think that, but ultimately, with, these, with this family and what the series shows is this sort of the, the dynamic, the sort of succession vibe the dynamic between the three children and the relationship they have with their father and vice versa.
1: Alex Holder, thank you so much for coming by. We appreciate yeah, it. Pleasure, thank, thank you, you. And we will be right back. That's it for us today, thanks for watching. Don't forget, if you can't watch us live, be sure to set your DVRs and watch us later. And Margaret, will be back next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Robert Costa. Today's guests were Vice President Kamala Harris, Virginia Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin, Maryland Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin, and documentary filmmaker Alex Holder. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News app at 12 p.m. on Sundays. And it's available on demand on Paramount+.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises by a coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Survivors back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist: a new co-host, the winner of Survivor forty-five, D. Valladaris. Hi. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.